Welcome to episode six of Breaking the Shackles of Time. I'm Marcus Weekly, the host of the podcast, and I'm joined today by Bernie Jaworski, the Drucker Chair in Management and the Liberal Arts at the Drucker School of Management at Claremont Graduate University. Um, this position, this chair, is named in honor of Peter Drucker, the founder of Modern Management, and it is awarded to an internationally recognized scholar who carries on the Drucker legacy of tempering sound business practices with a commitment to social responsibility. Um, Jaworski comes to the Drucker School from the Switzerland-based IMD, and prior to that, he spent a decade as a senior partner of the Monitor Group, a global management consulting firm. Um, During his Monitor career, he co-founded and co-led two of the global practice areas, the e-commerce practice and the executive education unit. In addition, he served as a tenured full professor of marketing at the University of Southern California, a faculty at the University of Arizona, and a visiting professor at Harvard Business School. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm, I'm very happy that you've agreed to, to jump into the podcast and, and uh, talk about management with us here today. Very excited to be here, Marcus, and thank you very much for the invite. I'm always happy to talk about the work of Peter Drucker. I've, 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 I've consumed the Kool-Aid, if you will, so I'm very happy to be the, <laughs> the vessel to kind of explain some of his basic ideas to a, a broader audience. So thank you for inviting nice. me. Great. Um, well, let's start even one step uh, further back, and then then we'll uh, hone in on Peter Drucker. But what I'm interested in is, um, you know, for for folks who don't really have an idea about why you would go to school to study management, you know, instead of just maybe just running a business type thing. Um, what exactly does what does it mean to study management? What are some of the major methods and, and approaches of the field? Why why does one go to, you know, get an MBA? Yeah, it's a great question. And, uh, you know, as I thought about that question, there's, there's kind of a, two ways to answer. One is around a philosophy and the second is around tools and methods. So from a, from a philosophy perspective, I tend to think of management as having three different orientations, three different schools of thought, much like you'd find a school of thought in psychology or sociology. So the schools of thought that I think exist in the area of management are one is taking a shareholder only perspective, that it's all about profit, it's all about economics, it's all about supply and demand, let free markets operate. Um, And that's coming from from what's called the Chicago School of Economics and Milton Mm -hmm. Friedman being probably the most important person in that space. The second school of thought is kind of purpose values led companies. You see a lot of this in the last 20 years where people, particularly young folks in their 20s, want to join a company that has a purpose, that has values, that has an orientation, and they're buying into the overall mission and purpose of that company. Um, now, they, they obviously want to make money, they want to make good economic returns, but in addition, they think their mission's broader than that. And then this third school of thought, which is the Drucker School of Thought, is that all the reason we're doing all of this management is not simply to allow your organization to function well and produce economic returns. You want to have an impact on society in general. And that your belief is that in order for society to function, all of the organizations need to function well, for-profit, non-profit, and government. And in that sense, Drucker's view is the broadest view. It's really fundamentally saying organizations, since organizations are largely comprising society, in contrast to 200 years ago, where you could have a bunch of agrarian farm-led communities. Here, we're basically an organ, we're, we're a society of organizations. So it's the organization's responsibility to help society function. It's a very, very different perspective, very, very broad. Wow. Now, 
sitting on top of that though is that you you there's, there's another thing when, when you said getting kind of a management education why would you do that there are being more narrow now i tend to think of it as what we oftentimes term as hard skills and soft skills the hard skills are things that you'd expect kind of to be there accounting finance supply chain operations these are kind of things where there are known frameworks there's standard procedures to do it there are uh, th there's ways to kind of solve the problems that are kind of well known and, 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 and you know you follow standard you know accounting procedures and so forth you kind of need to know those those skill sets are kind of baseline foundational but in addition the Drucker school like many other schools teaches soft skills how do you have a productive conversation how do you lead a team how do you lead and manage yourself how do you manage time right how do you coordinate the activities of others so these are the combination of things that any business school would do, soft skills and hard skills, but under the context of these alternative philosophies. So you can imagine the Drucker School puts a lot of emphasis around functioning society. Um, and it doesn't mean we don't do hard skills and soft skills. We do, but there's an orientation philosophy you have to buy into. I'd be shocked if the Chicago School of Economics or the business school teaches stuff that we teach around functioning society. Now, that doesn't mean they don't have a course here or there, but it's not the umbrella under yeah. which they kind of you know guide curriculum development. Yeah. So is the Chicago school still known for what it became so famous for in the seventies? Still... So there's, I would say the, so the, there's the Chicago business school, the Booth mm -hmm. school, and then there's Chicago economics department. I'd say the Chicago economics department is the same yeah, uh, still, as, as Freeman's view. doesn't mean they have a couple of different outliers here and there, but on the, on the business school side, they're a much broader kind of yeah. perspective, but still very sort of economics sort of oriented, very, you know, kind of driving that around shareholder value. Gotcha. Yeah. So I think that's a really helpful way to, to, to frame it for folks that, you know, there is a philosophical kind of even paradigmatic view that you, you know, you, there are different ways to approach um, the system that goes into um, running a business and engaging with broader society, the economic systems, as well as other social systems. And I think it's really helpful to, to frame Drucker. I mean, I didn't know that, that he wanted to take a step back to look at maybe organization as a whole, right? Which is going to include things like government and nonprofits and how do all of those interact to form and shape society? Um, well, you know, it's, it's funny you should say that because most people don't understand that's where Drucker is coming from. Yeah. Most people think of Drucker as the father of modern management. And that's yeah, what he's that's, going to That's the but phrase, you know. <laughs> he, backed, he, he backed into that. It wasn't his foreground issue, study management, solve management problems. That was not his issue. His issue was, coming out of post-war Germany and watching Hitler rise in Germany and escaping Germany and going to London, mm -hmm. his view was, man, society has to function well. That's what has to happen. How do we get that to happen? Well, we have large organizations. Okay, we have large organizations. Man, these guys really need to function well and help not only contribute to society, but also contribute to the welfare of individuals inside of it. So therefore, you know, they need management. And here's what management looks like. So in other words, in a sense, I want to say he backed into the study of management, but that was not the foreground issue. The foreground issue was how does society function well? And all along the way, I guess we have to learn management and understand the practice of management. Most yeah. people don't get that. Most people think of him as he was a management guy. Half his books were actually on functioning society and half his books were on, on management. Gotcha. Um, um, yeah. Did he did he see something special in the role of like the, the business manager and being able to he did. To shape society and play play a part in this broader, you know, like well-functioning. He did. He really did. And that's just mind-blowing. Um, I can refer you actually to his, one of his most important books. It was called The Practice of Management in 1954. 
and he took people through the journey of what it means to be a manager. It's the very first book that looked at the whole field of, of management and integrated it into one common framework. And what he did is he built up, the book kind of goes from um, what is the purpose of the business and what are they trying to achieve? But then he went into what does it mean to kind of structure activities and organize the organization to be productive and efficient. Then he took it into the level of individual leaders and what they need to do. Then he took it into areas of management and management and the worker and the interface between them. And he ended the book with the responsibilities of management. Mm-hmm. And the responsibilities of management were the things we're talking about right now, which is they have a moral and ethical responsibility to allow people to kind of develop and have social status within the organization. And they have to give back to the communities they live in because they fundamentally you know, that is the community. The organizations are the community. The aggregated set of organizations are the community. Man, organizations have to kind of step up. Now, importantly, it wasn't saying this to be, geez, I want to be a really nice guy to everybody. He said at the end of the day, the first responsibility of management is economic performance. So the rate, you got to hit your performance targets. But if you do that, then everything else takes care of itself. And let me add one other point to that, not to make it too fine a point. It's not, what he said was, fundamentally is if you deeply, deeply understand customers and what they fundamentally care about in profound ways and profound liberal art ways to understand everything they care about or looking for their wants, their desires, their beliefs, you're going to have products that are going to be in high demand. And as a result of having products that are high demand, you can then charge premium prices. And as a result of premium prices, you get this enormous economic performance. And as a result of economic performance, you can take care of the workers and you can take care of the communities you live in. So at the end of the day, very pragmatic. But the starting point was deeply, deeply focused on customers. If you do that, then this whole perpetual motion machine around, ah, higher economic performance, higher returns, take care of workers, develop workers, develop society, help community. So the perpetual motion machine kicks off with a customer-centered view, a deep, deep understanding of, of yeah. what customers are looking for. Gotcha. Um, cool. Very cool idea. Um, could we touch on kind of the the last part in that chain a little bit where you, I would love to have a better sense and to provide a better sense for the listeners of what it looks like to, to give back, right? Like through a drug review, you mentioned, you know, taking care of the employees and giving back to the community. Um, so the first part seems relatively straightforward. You know, you pay good wages, you take, you take care of your employees, um, Otherwise, here in the United States, obviously, like providing good health care and those yeah, other sorts yeah. of elements that are yeah. important. Um, but what what does it look like for um, a business through the Drucker philosophy to to connect with and to give back to the community? Yeah, so this is a really important point. So one of the things that's happened, Marcus, over the last 10 to 15 years has been something called corporate social responsibility. And generally speaking, and this is going to be sound terrible, but I, I hope it doesn't. Um, generally speaking, people put together a corporate responsibility department and they have somebody in charge of corporate responsibility. And that includes everything from philanthropy to community service to uh, getting employees to contribute, um, you know, weigh in around their willingness to contribute to various causes that the organization is sponsoring. All that is great. I mean, you can't, you can't kind of disagree with that. That's all really good outcomes. But Drucker's view is everything an organization does touches society, everything. So sometimes when you departmentalize things and put it in a department, it feels like that. Great. I'm over here in accounting or I'm over here in finance or I'm over here in supply chain. Thank God I don't have to worry about that stuff. I can just keep my head down and focus on what I need to do. But from Drucker's perspective, no, no, no. Everybody has to contribute. 
everybody touches society, everybody does something. So it's a broader perspective than we have a foundation that gives money back to the homeless, or we do a number of community things related to, you know, building houses and things like that. No, that's not it. It's, it's everything we do. So just to go on a complete tangent for a second, Edward Jones is one of the most Drucker-like organizations in the world. And they have their values as being one of the key things is impacting the communities they live in. And it's a values of, of Jones. Drucker consulted with Jones for 20 or 30 years, you know, became very intimately tied into the organization. And these guys believe very, very deeply in their souls that everybody in the organization is out in the community, impacting the community in some way, shape or form. Each individual is in the community. So sure, Edward Jones has a bunch of stuff they do as an organization. But the idea that everybody uh, takes as a responsibility is quite profound. And I can speak with some authority around this topic because every year we run a program for Edward Jones at the Drucker School. It's kind of their, they, they invite 30 or 40 of their uh, high performing people and they come in for a three day program at the Drucker School. And when we raise this issue, uh, the other faculty and I raised the issue, you can just tell these people are deeply committed to this. This is their fabric. This is who they, this is, they buy into this concept. It's not something they do on the side. It's the meshed in everything that they do. And that's a profound restatement of you know, just having a department that kind of does that type of orientation. Yeah, that's amazing because the, the department, as, as you, as you rightly said, like that's a really great step, but it could also at times kind of fall into window dressing or it seems like, right. Um, yes. There's a tendency with, um, you know, assist or institutionalizing these yeah. sorts of things that um, you just do the the minimum kind of for perception's sake, even at times. Yes. Um, and it's very different to do it from the inside out. Um, cool. So I would like to lead that in when you said, you know, you, you do a three day, a three day training with, um, you know, the, the top 30 or 40 folks from Ed, Edward Jones. I'm, I'm interested when Drucker uh, went to start a school, right. To, to translate a lot of his philosophy and his ideas into a management education. Um, what were some of the founding elements that, that you think, you know, that the school at CGU really embodies and continues from when Drucker founded it, that helps shape um, students um, in this unique, in this unique trajectory in philosophy? Marcus, that's a dangerous question to ask. And here goes the next <laughs> six hours of me kind of articulating what that looks like. I say, as a professor, how, I'm, I'm, you know, that's like the how idea. About 20 being, minutes. Yeah. 20 okay. Minutes. 20 minutes. Okay. <laughs> At most. Yeah. 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 Let, let me, let me, let me, it's, it's, a, it's exactly the right question. So let me, let me mention three or four things um, related to Drucker's philosophy. Um, the very first thing is it's humanistic, meaning it's very much centered on the employee. He felt he had, there's a great phrase of Drucker around helping the common person, yeah, common man writing back in the 60s, but helping the common person do uncommon things. Mm -hmm. When an organization is properly structured, you unleash talent inside of that organization directed towards its purpose. And so this is related to the idea that not, he was, he, not only did he want people to live in a society where they had social status and function, very, very important. And you can argue there's a lot of things going on, let's just say in the United States economy, where that's not happening, right? So so first thing is social status. Second thing is he had a lot of faith in people. That people could what what he he had this term called contribution. And the idea would be 
It's not, when, when people use, so Drucker introduced this phrase, management by objectives. That was Drucker's phrase. Hmm. When people hear that phrase, they think it sounds like management sets the objectives and then they manage them. That's not what he said. What he said was the best form of unleashing talent is to have the employee figure out the purpose of the organization, the purpose of their division, the purpose of their unit, the purpose of their manager's role, understand all of that, and then say, what are my strengths and what can I contribute? And then I have a conversation with my manager saying, given the purpose, given the organization, given the unit, given what you need to achieve, I think I can do three things this year. So it's not job description based. It's based upon this individual who's thinking deeply about what the organization needs and taking my strengths and applying them against. That's step one. Then they have a conversation that goes back and forth to myself and my manager. Eventually you agree, it's not those three objectives, it's objectives one, two, and four. Three we'll hold off on next year and we'll do one, two, and four. Then he said the second thing related to that is self-control. The best thing you can do is allow workers who are very close to the problem to take ownership for the work and to actually direct the work. So no, don't put a lot of shackles on that person. Give them freedom within a framework to be able to deliver against those objectives. So humanistic in the sense that, by the way, what's also happening along the way there is that person's learning because they're not giving the responsibility to their manager. They're learning and adjusting, sensing and responding. So they're developing themselves along the way. Mm -hmm. And so, so point number one is humanistic. Point number two is purpose and mission led. That is that for Drucker, you had to identify the purpose. You had to identify the vision of where the organization was going in order to kind of really direct the overall uh, organization towards that particular business purpose. Actually, in this context, too, the other part was you also need to specify the end game. So for Drucker, the vision, what does it look like when we're done? You know, it was very, very important to specifying what's going on. But all of this is sort of giving a direction, a North Star. Yeah. Another element of Drucker's work, and I'll mention two brothers, and then we'll, we'll kind of go from there, is he always believed in values-led organization. As He has this phrase that is, as people need vitamins, organizations need values. Uh, I was just reading an article this morning around the McDonald's CEO who was dismissed this past year after having relationships with employees. And what the new CEO said was, that's not consistent with our values. You know, that's just not, forget whether it's right or wrong, it's not consistent with the values of McDonald's to kind of do that. And so values-led organizations allows people to say, I fit those values, I fit that mission and purpose, I understand where we're going, and I opt in to be part of that organization. So that's another component part of kind of how we think about this. The last thing that's very, very important for Drucker is he uses the phrase continuity and change all the time. Because organizations compete over multiple time periods. And organizations disappear. Blockbuster. But so organizations, so the problem <laughs> for organizations is they have to manage in two time periods. They have to optimize and run the machine they're currently running as well as they possibly can. And then they have to allocate 20% of their time to the future and figure out what's the future look like and then migrate the company to the future. Hmm. Netflix has undergone about seven of these transformations in the last 20 years, yeah. all the way from way back to you know, when they first migrated the DVDs, DVDs was 0.05% of the world economy in terms of the ways people watch video. But Reed Hastings at the time said the future is DVD. And the organization looked at him and said, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. But they had to move away from DVD, then to move to streaming. Then they had to move away from streaming to content. It's very hard for organizations to make this leap 
But Drucker called it continuity and change. You've got to manage continuity and keep focused on running the machine we currently have that's making the money. But at the same time, environments change and we need to adjust our business to fit that new environment. Somebody's got to do that. And that takes a lot of time and effort. It's not something you do on weekends. So, you know, you got to manage this issue. I call it managing through time periods. I think he said exactly the same thing in 1954, but it morphed into managing continuity and change. So those are a little bit of a flavor of the work. Obviously, you wrote 36 books, and I know what you want me to do in the <laughs> podcast is review all 36 of them, but that just gives you yeah. some flavor of the orientation that he had from individual worker up to mission-driven, purpose-driven, and so forth. Got you. And 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 I can see how those could really guide and shape, um, especially the, the soft skills that you were talking about before, right, that are a key element of of an education in management. Like, uh, you probably have a lot of options in which ones to teach, which way, mm-hmm. um, and uh, what what's driving those, right? So it sounds like all three of those, um, the humanistic approach, the, the value approach, um, and the last one you were talking about, about continuity and change, I think yeah. all of those really probably inform the soft skills that, that, uh, that the school teaches, yeah. 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 Um, great, well, um, if you wouldn't mind maybe shifting gears a bit, I would, you know, one of your areas of expertise is in e-commerce and you mentioned net Netflix, which is a great example. Cause I definitely remember subscribing and getting, I mean, it's going to age me a bit, but getting, you know, DVDs <laughs> delivered to my home. Um, so that's what like Netflix was for a long time for me. Um, and then, you know, now it's something so dramatically different. I think it's a good example, but it's, it, it also speaks to how, what, um, you know, in, in a certain way, what what e-commerce began as, and now, you know, the dominating force that it is, um, I would love to hear a bit about, you know, maybe an intersection or how you see Drucker's philosophy kind of being, you know, informing this new, now massive arena of of e-commerce, um, and yeah. what some of the connections are there. Well, I mean, I'll answer the question in two levels. At the first level. Uh, so one of the things I do when I teach Drucker's philosophy, uh, all MBA students have to take me, whether they, they want to or not, around <laughs> Drucker's philosophy. And I would say, I teach, what I do is I teach his philosophy, and then I've written a number of contemporary cases of, of firms that are competing right now, um, from a company like Beckham Dickinson to a company like ResMed, who's in sleep apnea, to a company like SMA, which is a management consulting company that just moved all their business onto a digital platform. And they've made all their consultants available to the client. So the client can log on and actually see all of the clients and mix and match how many, how many, how many consultants, I mean. So the client can log onto the site and mix and match the consultants they want for the project needs they have. Incredible transparency, incredible transparency. And that's never happened before. And um, so what I do is I take Drucker's, I take Drucker's theories and I apply them to temporary issues that are unfolding right now. In this case, I just finished about a week ago. So I'll invite the CEO in to talk to the class, Zoom, I should say, Zoom into the class yeah. at the end of August. But um, but it raises to me, so the point is, Drucker's philosophy, point number one, Drucker's philosophy applies to today's organizations. It just does. It fits perfectly. In fact, in some ways, it fits as well, if not better, than he was writing back in the 1950s, because this notion of being purpose-led, this notion of being driven by values, the notion that we have to make society function well and, and contribute better. 
If you think about what's going on today, markets, those are all themes that are just so profound and so much in front of us. So point number one. Point number two is the interesting thing uh, about the e-commerce world. It feels to me, and this is just my, you know, my armchair observation, is that it's bifurcated into two different groups. The, 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 the giants that are out there, the Facebooks, the Googles, the Amazons of the world, the Microsofts, mm-hmm. uh, the fang, the so-called fangs, um, that group, you know, operates a particular way. But the issue there, which would be concerning to Drucker, is monopolistic competition. Are there certain things that are happening out there that is actually not society's benefit to, yeah. to, to have them do certain activities? Now, <clears throat> I would argue that's I think Drucker would look at some of these things and say, <laughs> This is, uh, you know, management needs to step in a little bit more aggressively in some situations. And, you know, we can talk about specific situations, but, you know, Facebook issues right now uh, that we're all aware of. I think yeah. Drucker would look at that with some sense of concern around what they're doing. And so I, I think there is a legitimate issue there. That's point number one. Point number two is related to perhaps this monopolistic competition is then I see there's everybody else <laughs> and everybody else would benefit from Drucker's thinking. And in particular, I think the most interesting issue is going back to managing two time periods. The reason firms disappear is because they do very well in one time period. But even though they see the second time period coming and what the future looks like, so they see the migration from DVD over streaming, they can't get out of their way. And so they're stuck in that world. You know, they just can't get out of the way. Uh, yeah, we're you know, seeing really interesting with, with, here's with an interesting stories too. Yeah. Well, Blockbuster CEO said on one uh, earnings call about 10 years ago, he said, somebody's asked him about Netflix. And this is again, 10 years ago, maybe 15. I can't remember exactly when. And the Blockbuster said, listen, guys, Netflix is 0.03% of the market. I could care less about Netflix. They're not even a player, you know, and he's on record of saying this. It's sort of like, okay, well, you know, I guess he didn't see the future, but Equally yeah. important, he was ignoring it, you know. So, yeah. so this issue of I think it's great for the small business person or the medium business person size company to be asking themselves this question: Am I allocating enough time to the future? How do I get there? Now, the other thing, and interesting enough, is what Drucker said was, it's the next level down in management that below the office of the CEO that should be doing it and worrying about it and thinking about it really deeply because they're the ones that are ultimately going to be running that enterprise in five to seven years, you know? So, you know, he had, he had some very practical suggestions on how to kind of make that happen. That's cool. <laughs> I, yeah. I wouldn't have initially thought that, but that, that makes sense too. That's looking to the future as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I mean, it seems like things actually, I, don't really know. I'm just kind of assuming that things seem to be moving even more quickly now. So that ideas like this specific idea of looking to the future, especially with e-commerce and the rapid turnover of technology, that this is probably even more important to any any business working in that area. Yeah. So let me say a few comments about that. Drucker called that the theory of the business. And for Drucker, he, what he meant was if the macroeconomic conditions change, the macro environment changes, there are fundamental things that are shifting in customer behavior or in technology that you have to revisit the purpose and mission, and therefore you have to revisit kind of where you're going. So the theory of the business changes, you've got to do things kind of differently, right? So that's kind of first thing he said, which is, you know, absolutely centric to what we're talking about. And in an environment where speed is more important, where things are changing more rapidly, you got to revisit that theory of the business much more frequently. So that's the first observation. The second observation, which is a really mind-blowing one, 
that people never really saw from the work of Drucker, but if you read his work very carefully, you can see this, is Drucker believed that the actions of organizations shaped the evolution of macroeconomic forces. So in other words, it wasn't, it wasn't as simple as, let me see where the environment's going, the economic environment's going, where my industry is going. Let me just see where it's all going. Oh, I'm a passive recipient to that. I have to adjust my business strategy to fit. Oh, the industry's moving to streaming. Oh, geez, I'm gonna, I guess I have to do that. Instead, what Drucker said was great managers practice sort of creative destruction. They actually see, here's what the future looks like. And they try to shift the economic forces in a way that actually benefit them. So the easiest way to describe this would be something like regulatory policy. If I can shift regulatory policy here in this way, then all of a sudden I have more opportunity than I had before. So Drucker did not see the broad economic or industry level conditions as setting constraints on the organization. Great managers shape the economic and industry conditions in which they operate, which is a mind-blowing idea, but it's, it's exactly right. It's very Schumpterian in terms of practicing creative destruction. You're trying to not only get to the future, you're trying to, you know, manage the context at which you operate inside of. So that means managing potentially and shaping customer behavior, shaping and managing customer behavior. Here's a good illustration. If you said binge watching 20 years ago, people had no idea what the hell you're talking about. No, I didn't even want to imagine what it looked like. But the idea now that you could binge watch 10 episodes of Netflix back to back, you know, and it counts down five, four, three, two, one. You go, oh, yeah, why not? What the hell? You know, it, like it's it's changed how we operate, our customer behavior. But any action a firm takes can change competitive forces, can change technology evolution. You can buy new technology and shut it down. You can buy new technology and accelerate it. These are all economic forces that impinge upon the business, but great managers see them and, quote, manage them. They influence them. They shape them. And that's one of Drucker's most profound ideas, even though it's lost in the context of 4,000 other great ideas that he had. <laughs> um, I, th I think that binge-watching example is a great one. I mean, I, I've thought about it at times um, where we probably wouldn't even agree to do that same behavior in other contexts, right? Like we wouldn't watch three movies back-to-back -back or something along those lines, right? Yeah. Um, or we don't really enjoy are socially we don't really accept in the same sort of way you know playing let's say playing video games or something for eight hours but the you know the the context has been shifted for customer behavior specifically for streaming tv shows or you know hour length about uh, shows and um it seems like a good a good example of that and you know in a in a more micro sense it sounded like he was also talking about um, the more macro sense. So let's say, you know, you use streaming as an example in general too. So, I mean, that's something that Netflix from a Drucker philosophy, I mean, I'm, I'm just, correct me if I'm wrong. He would more or less say that Netflix helped create that shift in yes. social behavior correct. by, you know, pushing, by seeing the technology was there and then reshaping their business around it and making a strong push for it type thing. That's exactly right. Yeah. Okay. And, and by the way, great firms, when they do that, other people in the industry line up behind them and they say, I guess that's where it's going. We yeah. should probably do it too. So, but if you're the lead guy and the other people are following you, you have time in your hands because you yeah. figured things out a bit ahead of everybody. Right. Yeah. So it's perfectly fine for everybody else to follow. You'd say, Oh, no, I, I wish nobody followed me into streaming. 
No, no, no. You want Amazon. You want everybody else to follow you because that then becomes the industry standard of which you now, by virtue of being three or six or a year ahead of everybody, you have the ability then to understand what users are doing and then shape, you know, user behavior yeah. once again, because yeah, yeah. you're ahead of, you're ahead of everybody else. You want people to follow in your wake. And that's what it means. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's yeah. exactly right. It makes perfect sense. I mean, um, and I think that Netflix is a great example of that. No one's doing it better than them still. Yeah. Um, so the so one, one other um, area of expertise that you have is in leadership, right? And so I, I definitely wanted to, you know, engaging with the, what, what we've been talking about with Drucker's philosophy now yeah. and, how, and how you feel that it applies maybe even better now to when he initially um, was writing about it. Um, how does that transfer into, into leadership? Um, so what are some of the most important characteristics, do you think, of, of a 21st century or contemporary lead, uh, business leader? So Drucker had this phrase that the only source of lasting competitive advantage is the people that you have. Um, and so people tend to think of competitive advantage as different ways you position your firm in the marketplace to gain, you know, some sort of economic performance. But the reality is that if it all starts, if it all starts with people, then figuring out who to hire, how to bring them in. Drucker was a massive proponent of developing people. He felt organizations either develop people or they stunted them. So organizations needed to develop people. He felt also people were the, the asset the firms had that depreciated the quickest and the ones that were least invested in. So management development, treating people right, giving them learning opportunities, um, advancement opportunities, all kind of central to kind of what he does. So I think on leadership side, if I'm going to give advice for leaders today, one is going to be that same notion of people oriented is absolutely critical to kind of making sure that things are, that you're functioning. Uh, well as an organization. But that's correlated with the second point, which is that we know with diversity, inclusion, and all the things that are happening today, the ability to have um, different views in an organization, we know there's been a history of work in management on having divergent views, different views, um, a view, you know, playing devil's advocate, all those are really critical to getting a better decision. And, and, you know, so Drucker would be a big advocate for diversity, inclusiveness, and getting different voices into looking at problems with people with different orientations, different backgrounds, all that would be incredibly central. And I think that's, that's a center of gravity issue for leaders today. I think third is um, technology. I mean, you, you know, you, you know, for better or for worse, you have to be on top of contemporary technology. Uh, and what's unfolding um, and the ability to kind of understand it, understand where and where it's going. Obviously, the one big trend that's happening right now is around mobility. Everybody's concerned about mobility and what does it mean to have everything running off your mobile phone? Um, yeah. And what does that sort of look like? So, you know, the ability to kind of embrace technology, not fear it, but embrace it and try and stay as best you can, either on top of it or a very fast follower, I think is really important. But some of the fundamentals um, around things that we teach, role modeling behavior, the ability to be agile, the ability to be customer focused, it's the orientation for the business. A lot of these things are ones that are um, building strong teams. A lot of these are kind of timeless. So I think you've got, in addition to the timeless ones, you probably have two or three things that reflect the speed of change that's unfolding. This notion of continuity and change is, is you know, Sears and Roebuck back in the 50s and 60s could go slow around continuity and change. You know, in the world of graphics chips, the overall product life cycles, last time I was in that industry, 
product life cycles would be three months from the time you launch it at the time the chip the game's over. So, so wow. to speak. Um, so, you know, um, you know, three months, right? So it's like, it's just mind boggling the speed at which certain things operate. So I do think speed's there. I think technology there, but I think this people centeredness and diversity is actually very, very important to kind of be front and center for people to be thinking about today. Nice. Um, has, has this, uh, has this pandemic changed? I mean, so it's, starting to feel like it's quickened to move towards um, a shift in using technology um, with organizations. Um, Do you feel like this might, you know, kind of shift things a bit in terms of remote working and, uh, you know, not relying on a physical space as much for, conducting business i mean in terms of apart from the e-commerce side um using a website to to do business in some sort of way but just also the kind of behind the scenes running of a business do you think there might be a broader social shift afoot because of what's been required by this that might you know change some business practices in the future uh there's no doubt about it uh everything i've been reading uh suggests that um Productivity is going up on the part of the workforce rather than down. This is, again, these are knowledge work uh, positions. So this yeah, is not yes, yes. necessarily fast food running. But but everything everything I've been reading suggests productivity is going up, A, and B, people are enjoying it more. So what's interesting about this, as a general rule, there, you know, the, the social interaction, they're certainly missing. But as a general rule, the idea of working from home uh, and doing things, and, you know, and obviously there's complexity here. I would love to run the systems diagram analysis around what this looks like. So you can imagine the chess match. Okay, so I'm working at home. I'm being more productive. Okay, so what's the good news? The good news from that is um, I'm, I, the environment's better because I'm not at my vehicle driving to work. Um, I'm I'm able to be, you know, focus my energy, you know, on work-related issues as opposed to other things that are kind of around me. What's the downside? The downside is, gee whiz, my family and work it all blended together. Am I spending more time with my family or less? What, what does it mean to manage kids that are kind of doing schooling that are seven or eight, nine, 10 years old? You know, we, we have that problem of, okay, well, for these kids that are seven or eight, nine, come from very wealthy families, they're, they're fine. You know, they, but the kids that are coming from the poor inner city neighborhoods, what do they do? You know, so, and then, and then by the way, play this out a little bit further. Do, do if, if all of a sudden people don't need their, you know, their um, corporate headquarter campus, which is a ton of resources allocated to it. What are we going to do with the real estate? So what's going to happen to commercial real estate? Here, here's the most poignant example, I think, is WeWork. Who is going to go to a WeWork facility these days? You know, or as, as in fact, six months from now, 12 months from now, who's going to use WeWork? Or how's WeWork going to reconfigure themselves, you know, to, to deal with that issue? And WeWork, you know, you know, a year ago was like, oh, yeah, this is great. You get to get temporary off. You know, I meet a bunch of new people. Uh, everybody shares the facilities. Wow, we're talking about a disaster, right? So, yeah. you know, I think we're going to see some fallout, but I don't know. You know, you've got X that leads to Y that leads to Z. If commercial real estate collapses, what does that then mean for residential housing? Maybe the price becomes much more reasonable because it has to convert to residential housing. So, I, you know, I would love to do that. <laughs> That's sort it of an analysis. But, yeah. Quite a systems diagram there, to be it, yeah, honest. Yeah, it would be. And yeah. feeds and feeds in really to the idea of those un, um, in ter- with the systems thinking uh, kind of principle that those those unintended consequences of the shift, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And you're you're pointing towards a number of those. Um, 
where changing this one factor, you know, might really change a number of things overall. Yeah. So I guess we'll have to see how this plays out. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining me today. This has been a wonderful conversation. I mean, I think a great introduction uh, to, to Peter Drucker's ideas, also what's going on at the Drucker School at CGU, and then, um, you know, some of your own areas of expertise as well. So thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. It was a lot of fun for you, Marcus. Thanks. I'm happy to come back. If you need a second go around at some point, I'm happy to, uh, to join you again. And uh, awesome. it was a lot of fun for me to share the ideas. And uh, as I said, I drank the, I've, I've had a lot of the drunker Kool-Aid, so I'm happy to share <laughs> some with everybody else at this point. Well, I had a first sip and it tastes pretty good. So. Good, good. Excellent. <laughs> if it was a five o'clock uh, podcast, we'd be having, you know, martinis at this point, but it's apparently, it's, yeah. you know, we'll stick with the, the Drucker Kool-Aid for now. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good. Well, once again, thank you so much. And from Studio B3 at Claremont Graduate University, this is Breaking the Shackles of Time. Thank you so much for listening and um, hope to hope to have you come and listen again next time.